Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. Al basketball all the time. Let me give you a couple thoughts here before my guy Dan McDonald joins us. Dan's a, uh, a, an evaluator. You can follow him on social media. You can uh, check out his work. I mean, this is a guy who has... Um, he's done, he, he's kind of built up his own brand in terms of Southern recruiting, especially through just old school, hard work. Um, and he works at a place called Lake Point Sports, which is in Kennesaw, Georgia. He's also a Bills fan, which makes no sense to me. We'll get to all that with uh, Dan McDonald, who you can follow on social media at the Dan McDonald upcoming. Before we get to that, though, let me give you my thoughts on the Lakers and LeBron and Jeannie and Palinka versus Rich Paul and LeBron. There have been many instances where LeBron has tried to flex his muscles, and I would guess that one of their initial thoughts was probably can we not just take over the Lakers in terms of personnel and have Rich Paul be the be the de facto GM, right? And LeBron James as well, kind of run your own team. But is there any chance of ownership there? Is there any chance that we could own LA, own the team? I, I think Jeannie rebuffed that. Do I think Jeannie has given in to some of his demands and requests? Sure. They did go after Ty Lue, but they weren't willing to go past a three-year deal for Ty Lue, who's a great coach. And I would say you probably should have gone past three years or given him more money up front for it. Um, but you look at so many guys on this roster, and they're there for one reason. Why is Melo there, LeBron? Why was the Russell Westbrook uh, trade done, LeBron? Why was Anthony Davis, why'd they move, Anthony, move Mountains for Anthony Davis, LeBron? And so at some point, there has to be some accountability for it. You made this. You got to fix it. Right? It can't, it can't. And so when the story that LeBron or Rich Paul, they're unhappy that Palinka wouldn't go after uh, John Wall. Like, look, John Wall has been a disaster in terms of winning basketball games in both Washington and Houston. Houston, Houston values him so much that they're, they're paying him not to play at 40 plus million dollars a year. And there's not like all these other playoff teams are moving mountains to try and get them. This is just trying to find somebody new to blame for the fact that LeBron's not going to win a championship this year. And and I do agree with the sense. I, I'm not in denial of how spectacular a talent LeBron James is and how immense his success both on and off the floor are. But I would call his bluff on this one. You know, saying you want to play with Bronny Look, Bronny's not an NBA player. If, if you watched him play at Sierra Canyon this year, the last game of the year they play Harvard-Westlake. He wasn't one of the five best players on the court on either team. You could make the case that his backups maybe should have gotten more minutes than he did. Now, that, that's not because he's on some random high school team. He's on a high school team that's loaded with guys like Amari Barry, Bailey who's going to UCLA. But the point is, if he's an NBA prospect as a junior, He's not scoring four points. He's not just a guy. He doesn't just fit in. He sticks out. He doesn't stick out. And so now you're trying to leverage your own career and tie it to Bronny, which I get you're trying to get your son, trying to get your son uh, a chance. Get him in the league. Once he's in the league, if he's good enough, he'll stick. But you're doing it 
to the detriment of your relationship with the Lakers, which has to already be frayed because the Buddy Heel deal was going through before LeBron and his people said, no, we want Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook's an abject disaster. The team, and this is where Palinka is at fault, should have re-signed Caruso anyway. But Russell Westbrook's an abject disaster. That's the blood on the hands is on the hands of Anthony Davis and LeBron James, not of Rob Palenka for Russell Westbrook. They wanted to send Russell Westbrook out to back to Houston. Good luck with that relationship as well. I think it's a mess. I think LeBron James is very much to blame. I think injuries are as well. I think they can be better in the playoffs. I don't think they're going to the Western Conference Finals. And I think they should at least conceive the possibility of trading LeBron James in the offseason while there's still value there. I don't think he wants to go anywhere else, but I think he's making threats. you got to be able to stand up and make reasonable threats back. All right, let's get to a little talk about Southern hoops. Why hasn't Georgia ever hit in college basketball? Let's catch up with my man, Dan McDonald. So, so Dan, before I want to get into a bunch of the other kind of, there's obviously a huge elephant in the room topic with, uh, with the Juwan Howard deal. And some other basketball stuff, but what was in terms of your first basketball playing experience with where? Just growing up here in Atlanta, I played you know all through middle school and my high school team, and you know I was a pretty average player, which is probably disrespectful to average high school players all over the country. But um, yeah, that was the end of it for me. Kind of knew pretty pretty early on I wasn't going to play in college, so started trying to find another way to stay and run the game. Okay, so, but, but you were good in high school. I was okay. I was okay. What's that mean? You know, I played on my varsity team. <laughs> I mean, we were, I mean, we were pretty good. We are actually our first playoff win in our school history. We played against Cherokee County, which I'm sure they had, I'm sure you know his name, Chris Singleton, who played at Florida State lottery pick back in the day. I, I love Chris Singleton. I totally I whipped on player, Chris Singleton dude. as a pro. Like, yeah. No, he was, like, Why'd you like Chris Singleton? I was like, dude, I thought he could be a great three and D guy. No doubt. Yeah, he was long, athletic. I mean, he had a bunch of shooters around him. He, they were tough, man. So we beat them. So we, we were in the highest classification. We ended up losing to a Norcross team. My junior year, my sophomore year, they had Jody Meeks. Junior year, they had Gani Lawal who played at Georgia Tech. I mean, yeah, they were super, super talented. So, I mean, I was kind of a role player on my team, back up off the bench, played three, four, you know. He probably could have found a way to play smaller, you know, D3, NAI if I really wanted to, but that just – wasn't really what I wanted to do, you know. Had some foot injuries that were just kind of lingering. I was just like, this isn't this isn't what I want to keep doing. So, yeah. so okay, so you get done in high school, and then what? So actually, about a year or two in. So I, growing up, I was a Georgia football fan, right? So I'm always reading the Georgia message boards. Well, once upon a time, they're like they're posting about interns, and they want people just to come and help out. So I reached out to the guy, and I was like, hey, look. I don't really want to do football. I want to do basketball. And they're like, well, cool. We really want to do football. So this works out. So this is right around the time coach Fox got to Georgia. So I just started covering recruiting in Georgia um, guys at Georgia was recruiting, but really it kind of turned into just Georgia Southeast. And I started doing it as a volunteer, you know, probably about six months in, I you know, made a few hundred bucks a month, you know, and then I uh, just kept working at it. And then Eric Bossy came in rivals. Uh, I think it was maybe 2012, 2013. And, he brought me onto the national team from there. Um, so I kind of been working with him up until he left for two, four, seven, a year or two ago. Um, we had working with him and Corey Evans. So just man, got lucky, <laughs> took a shot, just reached out and just worked my way up. And 
built relationships around here and, and really, you know, relationships were mostly in Georgia, the Southeast, but, you know, it's kind of expanded just to different places around the country. So no, it's been, it's been fun, man. I love being around the game and uh, couldn't, couldn't be, I don't even consider what I do work. It's just, you know, I'm sure you're the same way. It's just great to be around the game. Totally. Like I, I got to, you know, as we're recording this last night, I got to call a radio broadcast of uh, Duke against Florida State. It's my first trip to Cameron. And, oh, wow. um, and there was, you know, I, I, somebody I met there was like, man, you must make a lot of money for this game. Travel all the way across. It's like, not really. But it's, you know, I get paid to go watch and talk about a game. Like, we have the best perspective of it. Yeah, I'd never been there before. It's really cool. So, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, the Georgia background. Why hasn't it worked for anyone really at Georgia, right? Like, they have players. And I would, you know, if we want to sit there and go, well, Stedman Coliseum's not good enough. Like, okay, you know, a lack of investment in infrastructure. And I know when when Foxy took over there, that there was that there was an absolute whatever you do, you are not allowed to cheat, right? Because of what happened with with, with Herrick. Um, but I mean, we're like 15 years into this thing through a couple different coaches that are that have won elsewhere, won a lot elsewhere, and yet, you know, it feels like there's going to be there's very likely to be a change there now. Why hasn't I mean, look at Auburn's starting lineup. It's like all Georgia kids, right? And all the guys you mentioned are all hoopers. Why hasn't anybody been able to figure out the Georgia thing? Man, I think there's a number of different reasons you could go for. I I think there's a, there's obviously the football stigma. Hey, it's a football school, but at the same time, like that doesn't stop Auburn or Alabama from getting really good players, Florida state, same way. So I think it's a little bit of that. You know, I thought Anthony Edwards, there's a chance, okay, him choosing to stay home, Kareem's first year, you know, maybe that can make it cool to go to Georgia, but it didn't really hit it because he didn't go to the tournament. There wasn't really a roster there around him that could really take him that to that next step. So there's that. I think there's an element of Georgia that's just – there's a politics where, you know, it's just really hard, you know, for example, like, in a 2022 class, you get different point guards, right? Well, you better pick the one you want if you're at Georgia, because if you pick one and you better get him, because if you pick one and you don't get him, when you try to circle back on that next guy, he's like, man, you chose the other guy for me. I, I No, I'm going to Auburn or Alabama. So there's a little bit of that. And I think sometimes kids, they like to get away to where it's almost easier for Alabama or Auburn or Florida State or Clemson, Tennessee, because those schools are they're close enough. They play against the teams here in Georgia but you're not all right at home. I think it's just, there's an element of that too, but it's weird, man. I just, you know, nothing against coach cream, coach Fox, coach Felton. Um, I know coach Herrick had a rolling, but you know, none of those guys are real Georgia guys. Yeah. I think there's an element too, where, you know, like I know if, if there is a change here next month that there's one of the names that's been brought up is Jonas Hayes. And I keep telling people like, you know, he was at Georgia when they were really winning. He can recruit and he's an Atlanta boy that was really good at Georgia. So like, I think from a relatability standpoint, like that might be the kind of person that, you know, one of those schools, whether it's Georgia or Georgia tech, that they kind of need to hire because neither one of them has gone that route. Like the only coach that's really been able to figure out recruiting in Georgia from an in-state school is Paul Hewitt back in his early part of his tenure. Right. He was getting Derek favors and, you know, all those other guys, Gonny Lawal and 
So like, it's just, there's just a lot of different dynamics here that just make it kind of tricky. But um, I think having a recognizable face and somebody that's really kind of entrenched here in the top seat, not, not just trying to hire assistants like Amir Abdurrahim, who's at Kennesaw State and now did a great job, but you can only do so much as an assistant. Like I said, Jonas was at Fox did a great job, but it's just different when you're in that big chair. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating. Um, yeah, and then there's, you know, even, but what's fascinating about Georgia Tech is Georgia Tech's obviously in the heart of it, right? Yep. They're in what traditionally, obviously not this year, because I think the SEC has, they've invested so much in the coaches and facilities, they've leapfrogged the ACC, but they're in the better basketball league. And yet, even if outside of Paul Hewitt, you look historically, all their great point guards, none of them for Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> like none of them for Georgia. Um, it's amazing, you know, from Mark Price to Kenny Anderson to um, uh, Travis Best, Stefan Marbury. Jared right? Jackson up in uh, Maryland. Yeah. yeah. Really interesting that, you know, however many players have been produced by the city of Atlanta when when they've had it and it was point guard you, none of them were actually from from Georgia. And, you know, the interesting dynamic that Josh Passner's done well with there is he hasn't really been getting them out of high school, but he's gotten some pretty good ones. Like James Banks was on the bounce back. Jordan Usher was on the bounce back. Right. Um, well, he's that, been able to capitalize on that. And I think that's going to be the new route for these schools to go. Is Yes. Finishing you know, finishing in second place is not a bad thing, you know? No, and as long as you don't kids, kids go away, they, they don't have great success. They want to come back home. Yep. Right? That's what – that's what Long Beach State used to do, you know, in Southern California for a long time. And now everybody, now the high majors and mid majors, you know, and the, 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 the low high majors have, that's what San Diego State was built on. Southern California kids that no doubt. went away, didn't have great success, wanted to come back. So it's really. Well, Georgia State with Ron Hunter was kind of the first to really go that model around here. And, you know, he had all sorts of success doing that. So I do think that's a route that particularly Georgia State and Georgia Tech and Georgia being right in Atlanta can really take advantage of. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. What do you, What is your opinion of what happened with Juwan Howard and Greg Gard? I think we all, anybody who's played sports or coached in sports, knows your emotions get the best of you. <laughs> but you can't hit guys, man. <laughs> Like, and I know it wasn't a full on connect, but, you know, and more so than just whatever you want to call it, a punch, a slap, whatever you want to define it as he escalated a situation that could have gotten really, really bad. And I think that's probably going to be the biggest problem for him. If I'm an administrator in Michigan, it's like, think about if that would have turned into the malice in the palace kind of thing, which it very well could have. And he yeah, would have been I mean, the the kid, they, There was no fighting between the kids until that. Yeah, that's like, that's like the part. You, the whole, then, you usually what what coaches usually get by on, and I believe this to be true is normally when some gets heated, I'm protecting my players. No doubt, this was all about him, mm-hmm. and and it's not the first incident he had. It, it was, there's an ugly one, a technical foul where he was uh, just the other day against Iowa. You know, with Rutgers, there was a an incident, in the handshake lines, whatever. And and I and I don't know how you feel about it. I, I know that we have, I know Dick Vitale and Seth Greenberg. I'm just going to disagree. Like, look, if you can't, if you can't handle losing, and put your head down, 
you know, or even put your head up and just shake guys' hand. Hey, good game, good game, good game, good game, good game, good game. Right? Like you can't do that. I, no. I don't. You 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 you're not mature enough to play sports. I mean, and you're the second highest paid member of a of an incredible institution like Michigan. Like that's completely and utterly unacceptable. I just, you know, and, and the, he put my hands on me like, come on, dude. Yeah. It wasn't, an, to, it wasn't an he was trying to explain why he took a timeout. I didn't like the timeout, but okay. He had an explanation for it. Like, all right. I still don't think you call a timeout there. He just get it in and let's just get the, let's just get this thing over with, you know, it's, that's, that's a hard, that's a tough look. I think. Yeah. It's not good. Not good. Percentage of coaches who would lose their job in that particular instance. Whew. 95%. Yeah, I agree. That's, 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 about, that's about the number. And look, yeah. he's got a ton of positive equity, not just, not just cause he played there and he's a great player, but, but there have like, this is, there's kind of been a buildup here where I mean, he's like clearly frustrated with the year that they're having no doubt. and not controlling his emotions, not controlling his emotions. Well, um, I do want to ask you about, about Jabari Smith. I know you got a chance to see him a ton. Um, I think he's going to be the number one overall pick. Uh, did you did you see this coming? So the, going back to the very first time I saw Jabari play, I think it was between his freshman and sophomore year. If you would asked me then, no chance. I mean, he was just a he was probably a six seven kind of the long gangly body where you like you knew that okay if if he works there's there's something there. And then I think it was about a year later. Like that, oh, that year after that, go from his end of his freshman year to the end of his sophomore year was kind of when that jump really started to go like crazy. And then his junior year just went nuts. And then he was, in, you know, right in the McDonald's All American conversation, one of the top guys in the country. I think there was a USA basketball experience there where he kind of went off. But the thing I like about Jabari, and this is true from the first time I saw him until right now, like even watching him the rest of the season, he's always getting better. He's always adding something to his game. Like at one point, he wasn't strong enough. Well, now he's kind of filled out a little bit. At one point, his conditioning was a little bit of a problem where if he's really battling with the big guys. He, you know, he wears down. That ain't an issue anymore. He's tightened up his jump shot because he used to be a little inconsistent on a shot. That's not an issue anymore. I think we have seven threes the other night. Um, like everything about his game, like he just keeps on working on to where you're like, oh, you think that's an issue? It's, it's not going to be much longer. So just – Knowing his intangibles, he's got a little toughness. He's got some competitiveness to him. Um, yeah, I mean, I love Chet Holmgren. Like, I think you know, from a unique standpoint, like, you just don't see many dudes like that. But, man, Jabari's uh, – he keeps getting better, and I just – I don't see that trend stopping anytime soon. Yeah, I don't either. Um, all right, what about Chet? Uh, you know, I, I think the interesting thing about Chet is – uh, I know he has great functional length, um, but I mean his shoulders are so narrow. Yeah, I don't know where he plays yeah, defensively, especially early in the NBA. Like, well, he's a rim protector. Like, he can't guard any of those big dudes in the NBA. I mean, he's two hundred pounds. It's not like it, I don't know. Your shoulders are going to get much wider. You know, no, and that was always thing with Jabari. Like where Jab- you could tell, like Jabari was skinny and lanky, but like he had, like you see his dad and you see Jabari, and he's kind of started to fill out in the sh- like where he's just like you said, the shoulders. Like because I used to always kind of fight back on the Chet thing from what you're saying to okay, he's weak, 
but he's not soft. Like Chet will get in there and fight you. Like, and yeah, I, and no, I like but it has not yeah, has nothing to do with being soft. Yeah. So, but like, but now, like I, I, like the more I watch him this year, cause you can like, when you watch him on the armor circuit, like he's just way more talented than some of those dudes. So it just, it doesn't, he's so much longer that, okay, you are stronger than me. So, so what? Try to score over me. Like, so at that level, it didn't matter. But now you see him getting into college where it's more physical. He's playing as 22 and 23 year olds. Like you, it does get, it's noticeably more of an issue. And I think, like you said, once you get to the NBA, you know, you're dealing with the best in the world. I, I don't know how effective that'll be. I agree. I'm, I'm a little, you know, like there, there's a, there's a bit of a boomer bust there, you know? And I think there's yeah. such a, such an infatuation with the, the uniqueness of his skill set. but yes. I, and I, and I think Jabari, like if, if a team needs a four man, like that's what NBA fours are supposed to look like nowadays. Like it's, it's an yeah. easy, yeah. It's and easy you're to fit younger that guy than, in. He's a year younger than Paolo. Yep. Um, and I, you know, and I think there's just so many things he can do. And, you know, I think he, he could, he can do it, you know, depending upon when he puts on some weight and what his body looks like. The other part about that shit, which is interesting is like, well, he'll gain weight. Like, okay. So what does he move like when he's 230 pounds? Right. Like now, now what is it? Now what is he? Now what is he? And how, how agile is he? I just, I don't know where you play him because you, yeah. the, every, everybody says when you play him, I guess you play him at the five, he's rim protecting, but I mean, he just, those are grown men. I, I, there's just not a healthy respect for how strong you have to be to play the five in the NBA. You know, I mean, even if you're going to go against small ball fives and use your length, like those guys are just going to body. I mean, we're talking about Draymond Green and PJ Tucker and, like that is not that is a tough day at the office. Tough and then like now if you're talking about moving over to the four for the exact reasons you mentioned, like and now you gotta defend on the perimeter a little bit. Are your are your feet quick enough to where you're gonna right. slide? So, your so the four, you everybody in the old days used to go like, okay, can you guard power forwards? Like, no, 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 no. If you're a four, you gotta guard one through four. Yeah, exactly. So I like him, but I love Jabari. And then all right, what about Moncaro? Yeah, to me, like I, I like he just he's a much more explosive athlete, I think, than Jabari. Like Jabari's athletic, but Jabari's not like explosive athletically. Yeah. Whereas like I think uh, Paulo is just he's not, he like he's elite in that category. I don't think he's as yeah. skilled as Jabari. And I think the thing about Jab- where Jabari's really grown is he's got a much better and this I think this goes with Coach Pearl, but also we had great high school coach, great travel coaches. They've, and his dad, too, I'm sure helps with this, is he has a really good feel for knowing how to play and knowing how to kind of fade. Now, there's been some times lately at Auburn where he kind of fades. They, they either go away from him, and I'm not sure how much that, that's on him. Is that on the guard play? I think we can argue over that. But I don't get the sense that Paulo's on his level as far as just really knowing how to play. I think he's got more natural goods, but I don't know that he's skill-wise or just IQ-wise on Jabari's level. What do you think about Ty Ty? Whew, man, I love him. I, I, I think he, you know, I didn't watch a ton of Kentucky, but a few times, I think I watched a game where he had 16 assists or something like, and he, he's shooting it now. Like he's good size, good quickness. Um, no, I, th- I, th- I think he's got the goods. I do too. And I think the thing I like about him most is 
I don't feel like he's a pig. He doesn't feel like he's playing with an agenda of trying to show everybody how great he is. He just kind of plays basketball. Yeah, and I think from what I've seen, the best basketball Kentucky plays is when he's running the point. I would that one I would disagree with. I mean, I think it it just depends. You know, Wheeler will get sped up and he's little, and he picks up the ball occasionally. It's you know too yeah. early in his dribble, but I mean, I, I you know I've I've seen him twice live, and A and M did a great job of of uh, you know trapping him on ball screens, and he he. He didn't. He didn't look good, right? He he looked like a guy who it was a little bit, a little bit too much. But yeah. even in that instance where he didn't play well, he had a couple big threes, had a couple big drives, like kind of kept playing through the fact he didn't play well against uh, Kansas. I mean, obviously Oscar had an unbelievable game, but I would tell you that Shavir was the reason that they dominated it because he was getting to the free throw line on every missed shot, just pushing the ball. And he had you constantly on your heels. Now they can go to tie, tie, and have him handle it, and it's a different look. And I, I agree with you; he's very good. But I think the dynamic of how how fast they push that basketball, and how it it puts everybody on their heels, and then he can throw it up to tie, tie, throw it up to Kellen Grady. I think that's actually where they're where they're at their best. But I, again, back to tie, tie. So yeah. what is he in the NBA, or who is he in the NBA? Man, I'm terrible at the comparison game. Um, yeah, I don't – I mean, do you have a comparison that can kind of pick no, apart? No, I'm trying to figure one out. Yeah. I'm trying I don't, to figure one I, out. I don't have a great one. I I do think, like, if we're talking just, like, what's his upside in the NBA? Yeah. I mean, like, there's a lot of really good starting point guards right now. So there's, there's only 30 starting spots. But, like, I think I think there's a chance he could be a starter in the NBA someday. Oh, yeah. I mean, we drafted a, a position where he'll have to be a starter. So, yes. Yeah. I also think he can play off the ball, which gives him an added benefit, you know. Mm-hmm. And, like, do love and that's why I think it's such a – like, for guys like him, like, I, I really hope that's something that more young – more, like, high school and college coaches really push on the guys, being able to play off the ball. Because it's – if you're a point guard that can't play off the ball, like, and, and you're only, like, 6'2", like, you're, you're limited. Correct. Um, have you seen Ivy play a bunch? Not a ton, but I know, I've seen enough to know like he's what the first guard picked for, for one or yeah. two. Yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable athlete, defensive player. He's becoming a really good shooter. And what's what's That's interesting about him and Paolo is they both had moms that were star players. You know, mm-hmm. Paolo's mom's was the all-time leading scorer at Washington when she got done, and of course uh, Ivy's mom, now the coach at Notre Dame, she was a hell of a player as well. So it's just interesting that we've reached the point where I mean, we've had it before with uh, JaVel McGee, obviously, and Pam McGee being his mom. And there, there's been others. But this is an interesting kind of stage we're getting to. Where now we're having WNBA players. Yeah. There's been more of them, too, just like and not necessarily yeah, produce, uh, sons that are super talented. Yeah. And it's, it's not always necessarily um, like the biggest names. I've, I feel like I've heard more of that, like. Oh yeah, that kid who's really good. Yeah, his mom played at Tennessee or whatever it is. So, as much as having a dad that played in the NFL or played college basketball or NBA, like those moms are important there too. Now, no question, two sets of genes. You know, um, when when we look at recruiting in the South, um, it, Bruce Pearl staying at Auburn now. 
keep in mind he's been able to play the transfer game a bunch as well. But how uh, how much can he repeat what he's been able to do, in your opinion? You know what? The thing about Bruce Pearl that I love, and he's been doing this ever since he's been Auburn, and, and it'll probably change a little bit now because, like you said, the transfer portal is a little more open to him with the one-time transfer rule. But his staff has done an incredible job of getting on kids early. Like, you people can make all the jokes they want about, you know, he's had show calls, he's a cheater, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, 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 no. He got Sharif Cooper and Isaac Okoro because he outworked everybody. He was at McEachern High School in AOT games before everybody else. And he outworked those dudes. He built relationships with the kids, the people around him, to where they all want to support Bruce Pearl. And they all want to send their kids to play at Auburn for him. And you've seen it kind of trickle over to other kids in Atlanta, like Jabari. And um, they got Jalen Williams is from Atlanta. So Walker Kessler. So I just I think with the way he works and how good he and his staff are at identifying guys that can get better and guys that fit the way they play. I don't think this is slowing down anytime soon. Now they're going to lose a lot this year, like replacing Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith. Like that's, that's not easy. And that's probably going to be done during through the transfer portal, but I don't see that Auburn train slowing down anytime soon. What's the 22 class like in the state of Georgia? You know what? It's not great, Doug. It's not great. Um, there's some good classes coming up behind us. Now, part of it is kids have moved out um, of the state to go to other schools or whatever, but, you know, and maybe the pandemic played a part in some kids not developing the way they probably should have. But by Atlanta standards and some of the classes we've had coming out recently, I don't, this, this isn't our best, our best one we've had. It's interesting though, because if you, if you track, you know, what happened with Lorenzo Romar, for example, at the university of Washington, it was it, it coincided with a couple of da- couple of lean years in Seattle. They were dominating Seattle recruiting, and then Seattle just had a couple of kind of lean years. And he also lost some guys, some one and duns as well. And he kind of lost his lost his footing, and it was really hard to to replace. It'll be interesting because you know if they hire Jonas Hayes, for example, he comes into Georgia, and he might um, he might. Uh, he might get the best players remaining, you know, but those best players remaining might not be at the level of everybody else in the SEC. Yes. And I think that's where, regardless of who the coach is, I mean, this, this, if it's him or if it's, you know, Dennis Gates, his name has been thrown around and, you know, Grant McCaslin, you know, all sorts of different, all the good mid-major guys, you, you know, who they are um, Nico Medved, all those kind of dudes. But more so than really being able to pluck the top high school kids out of Atlanta. And that's always going to be important because I've always believed that like Georgia, Georgia Tech, your best route to getting a good player is going to be somewhat locally. Maybe, and like you said, you pointed out that maybe that's not necessarily true at Georgia Tech, but I think at Georgia, it definitely is. Yeah. Um, but also, you got, you got to build a fence around the state. Yeah. If a kid, if a kid goes away from to somewhere in the Big Ten, like Bruce Thorne's going up to Ohio State this year, if for whatever reason it doesn't work out for him, like you've got to, you got to be able to like, get that one done, get him back home. Like that, like that's going to be just as valuable having somebody that can get those transfers in as much as it is to get the high school kids now. So that even if there is a down 2022 class, okay, well, who are the best 2020 and 2021 kids that went away that want to come back home now? Because that's just as quick of a way to fix your roster up as it is to get the high school kids. Um, how much has, and, and maybe it hasn't, but you know, for years, the Atlanta Hawks didn't draw. They just didn't. They were good. They were bad. It didn't matter. They didn't draw. It does feel like Trey Young's kind of a thing. 
he does feel like there's more energy in, in Phillips, especially last year in that playoff run. I think it's, it's kind of died down. The NBA is kind of off the main radar here, but, yeah. um, but no, I think people really kind of jumped on board. They got hot last year and it's Trey. It's fun to watch. He's kind of got a Steph Curry thing going on. I definitely think he kind of built some young fans up around here for sure. Well, it's interesting because, you know, part of what's happened in Oklahoma and Oklahoma's always produced good players, but part of what's changed the energy in that state, a football state towards basketball is they have the thunder. Now, obviously Atlanta's always produced players and they've always had the Hawks, but when the Hawks are kind of a happening and when you have a cool player, it does sort of does sort of change things a little bit. Have you, have you noticed that at all in terms of uh, the, the, and obviously you said this is a lean year, but the depth of the depth of players and athletes choosing basketball over football. No, I guess football is all like, you know, with Georgia winning a national championship of football this year, you know, and the, and the Falcons up until recently had always been good. Like, I don't think it's really shifted the dynamic too much yet. I think that's more of a conversation. Like if we're sitting here three or four years from now and maybe, maybe beyond that, that'd be really kind of interesting to look back on because, you know, like the Hawks had that run, you know, four or five years ago where coach Budenholzer was here and I think they had the one seed the one year and took the Cavs a couple games, but um, yeah, like the Hawks, like they just, this is such a football town. And then, you know, when the side of football season is a brave season that, that basketball, it just does even college basketball here. It just, you know, now that Auburn's going, the SEC's going, you know, maybe that'll have some influence. I don't know, but it's just, it's, it's weird that like the high, it's almost like the high school A you've seen here is more what people think of with basketball in Atlanta than they do college or pro, which I don't know. Yeah, if no, it's, a- it's, 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 it's really true. You know, it's it, Georgia synonymous with great high school recruiting in the Peach Jam. No, no question. Like that. If you go to Augusta, like, I mean, they could move that thing to a big venue and fill it out if it was there because it's, I mean, it's the best players in the country with the UIBL, and then they have a community there that's used to that coming in, and they support the heck out of it. When do you think that thing became that big? You know, I think from for the Peach Jam, I mean, it's like it's always been big, right? But I think over the last decade or so, so I've been doing the rival stuff. I think it started Labor Day 2009. And I think in the last 12, 11 and a half years, whatever it's been, 12 and a half years, um, social media with those little quick highlight reels of guys like Apollo Bancaro or Colin Sexton or whoever it is like social media, I think has only helped things like, especially basketball, like with all the recruiting coverage now and everybody's got a camera. If you go watch, you know, I mean, you've been there, Doug, like if you Zion Williamson's playing like this, the end that he's shooting on for that half is like media row, but deep. And uh, so like, I, I think, I think social media has played a big role in helping, you know, That's a great point. And, and look at, look at the overtime, you know, the facility they built in Atlanta. Yeah, no doubt. Every, yeah. And everything they've done is was just on those clips. Yeah. And I, and I think that, I think there's a reason they picked Atlanta to come here because I know they are looking at other venues in the city and then they decided to build their own, but yeah, I think they know that like, I mean, everything. So like work me working at Lake point, like we've pretty much always had all the shoe companies in. Right. And when, he, when all they come in, like it's, it's a Doug, it's amazing how many people come in our building when, especially Nike, but even the other ones, like if Adidas has a guy or Under Armour's got Anthony Edwards or whoever it is, like it, it's, it's wild how many, how big of a draw that stuff is. And people are paying 20 or $25 a day to get in, which I mean, it's not cheap. No. And then you gotta pay parking. 
Yeah. You know, and, and you're just coming in to watch, watch ball, whether it's your kid or somebody else's kid. It's, it's really, really, really fascinating. Um, uh, the best young prospect in Georgia doesn't have to be a 22, like the next Jabari, the next Zion is who? You know who I think's got a chance to be really, really good because he's just got such a unique trait is Isaiah Collier. He's a five-star point guard in 2023 class, plays at Wheeler. They pumped out tons of players over the years. Um, thing about Isaiah, man, he can really pass. And it's not the always the flashy pass. It's just he's he'll make the simple pass. He can't make the flashy pass, but it's so effortless for him to flick a quick one-handed or either hand. Like he's ambidextrous with his passing. I just it's six four with a guy that became able to do that. And where he's really kind of grown to me is I used to think he had a cool guy element to his game, but yeah. he's kind of tightened it up where he's become a little bit more of a dog. He's come a little bit more of an aggressive score to kind of complement his ability to pass that I think, I mean, he's got, you know, all the big ones. I think USC and UCLA are on him because he got some California ties, Alabama, Florida state, Cincinnati, Georgia. I mean, I mean, he, that list could expand at any minute, but uh, no, I think he's got a chance to be really special. I think he's ranked in the five-star range on every site. He's, he's got a chance to be really, really good. Awesome stuff. Well, listen, I enjoy your work. I want to get together at Peach Jam this year. And yeah, I appreciate sure. you joining me on the pod. How can, how can somebody, somebody like just learn to damage out? How can they follow your stuff? Yeah, so best place to follow me is on Twitter. And my handle is now at the Dan McDonald. It sounds ridiculous saying that out loud, but... <laughs> It sounds pretty arrogant, but no, the, the Dan McDonald on Twitter and I think it's the same thing on Instagram, uh, but more of my basketball contents on Twitter. So um, that'd probably be the best place to find me. Awesome. Great stuff, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, let's do it again. Let's do it again sometime here in the spring. Yeah, for sure. All right. My thanks to Dan McDonald. That stuff was amazing. Simply amazing. Um, I'm really uh, I, I love it. I love talking uh, high school hoops, recruiting hoops, and the thoughts of what the future is going to look like for the University of of Georgia. Um, we got more pods upcoming. We're going to preview all these conference tournaments. We're going to get more in-depth. I got part two coming of, of uh, Steve Lapis, as well as some others. Make sure you tell friends about the pod. It's a pretty fun place to live. In the meantime, I'm Doug Gottlieb. You can listen to the Doug Gottlieb Show daily, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 3 Pacific, Fox Sports Radio, iHeartRadio app, or you ever downloaded this podcast. In the meantime, download, subscribe, rate, write a review. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball.